go into the soil. The second one, fortunately, when persecution comes and affliction and trials and tribulations, people let go of God and they turn away from him and they don't bear any fruit. The third one, we saw that the realize that the, the cares of this world. In fact, people gave me feedback from this this week. They said, man, you know, there's times where I really didn't really care about the cares of the world. It was really persecution and affliction, but now I care about the cares of the world and the worries of life. And uh, It's more of a temptation now. And it's like that for all of us, really, as we get a little bit more comfortable. It's so easy to get comfortable in our Christian life. And he said, look, there's only... One out of the four who is truly saved. Really, there's a message about what is a true disciple, and Jesus is going to spend the rest of these 20 verses 21 to 34 teaching us something about what a true disciple is. And so, yes, it, 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 we need to steward the word, we need to pay attention. And so, by way of structure, we have four responsibilities of a true believer. You have four responsibilities. If you're sitting here today, you have four, and you're, you call yourself a Christian, you have four responsibilities to the Word of God. But before we get there, I want to just rattle off a few other passages that will kind of set this up a little bit and what it means to be a true disciple according to the Scriptures. I think there's a lot of confusion in the church today. What is a true disciple? What is a true believer? What is the fruit of a, of a disciple of Jesus? They just go to church. They just listen to the word. They occasionally do some good works. They just go on a mission trip. What are, what are the qualifications? Well, thankfully, the word of God is clear on what a true disciple is. And so you don't have to turn there necessarily because I'll read it. But John 10, verses 1 to 5 and 26 to 29 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he... Who does not enter the door, by the door, into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up another way. He is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is a, she a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the, goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger, they simply will not follow. In other words, true believers don't follow false teachers. They follow the voice of Jesus. They, they understand his word. They, they want to understand his word. There's a desire to understand his word. There's a desire to hear his voice through the scriptures. But we'll flee from these false teachers because they do not know the voice of strangers. We as believers don't know the voice of strangers. We're not interested in false teaching. We want to hear from the Lord. But you yourself, you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. In other words, as a true believer, you're secure in him. It, maybe the reformers, they, they've said it this way, once saved, always saved. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. What an incredible encouragement to believers. 
Second part, well, first, they hear God's voice. Two, they understand God's word. In 1 Corinthians 2, 14 and 16, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, and they cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. In other words, non-believers can't understand the truth. They, they don't understand the word of God. They can't make sense of it. I mean, they're hearing things. They're like, I can hear that guy up there just gabbing, talking, talking, talking. Somebody got the gift of gab. I just don't understand what he's saying. <laughs> Maybe that's some of you right now. But he who is spiritual, who is born again, he who is spiritual praises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For he has known the mind of the Lord, that will he instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Believers have the mind of Christ. They're in sync with the word of God. And that doesn't mean that we don't need teachers. That doesn't mean that we don't need, because the disciples, they didn't understand even the parables. They said, well, teach us, Lord, help us to understand. And, and, and they were hungry, and they were humble, and so the Lord gave more to them. Number three, they obey God's word, and they love others. That's, it's manifest. Obey, obedience to the word of God manifests in loving others. 1 John 4, 7 to 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. John 8, 31. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. John 13, 35. All men will know that you are my disciples. By what? If you love one another. Do you love people? Are you annoyed by them? Are you inconvenienced by your kids? Are you inconvenienced and annoyed by your spouse? Although we have days like that, don't we? Probably more than to us, rather than the other way around, right? Yeah. But do we love? Do we sacrifice? This is a mark of a true believer. And Jesus will unpack these things, these teachings, and his disciples will then later unpack them in their letters. But this is right. John 15, 8 through 10. You know this very familiar passage. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. Disciples bear much fruit. They're the fourth soil people. And so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And fourthly, they hunger after God's word. They want more. They're delighted to get up and read the word of God on lunch breaks, in the evening. They can't get enough of it. This is what Jesus wants for all of us as a church. 1 Peter 2.2 2 is like newborn babies. And some of you guys, some of you moms, you, you understand this, right? Like newborn, they long for pure milk, right? They want, they, they, they will make it known to you that they are hungry. It's going to be very evident, unless you're deaf, right? They will make it known to you that they are hungry, and that is the same as believers, like newborn babies, they long for the pure milk. So that by it we may grow in respect to salvation if we've tasted the kindness of the Lord. If we've tasted, we want more. We want more. 
And so we find ourselves in verse 21. We're going to go from 21 to 34. And we'll work through this passage together and unpack it. So let's start off with the first couple of verses. After he tells the parable of the sower, he goes and he tells his disciples, and he's saying to them, his disciples, a lamp is not brought to be under a basket, is it? Or under a bed. Now, I love his parables because they're very pithy, right? Uh, they're memorable. You remember these. And that's the point. He's, he's a great teacher. He illustrates what he's trying to teach us. He wants them to understand that if you have a lamp, you'd be a fool to dump. They have these big old... Uh, uh, baskets that they would hold grain in. It would be as if they, you have this light that is supposed to light up the room. They didn't have electricity, so you had to have, they had these little lamps. It was kind of like a pitcher, and they put oil in it, and there would be a wick. And So they put it up on a lampstand, and so it would reflect off the walls. It'd be silly to dump out all the grain and then put it on top of the lamp. Why would anybody do that? And that's the point. Jesus is saying, look, if you have this light, don't hide it. Is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed. Nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. And so what he's saying is, if you have the light, the first point is, if you have the light, use it. Use it. What are you doing with the word of God? You can't, like James says, you cannot just listen. You cannot just keep coming to church and keep listening to, I, I hear people all the time, I'm listening to messages every day on YouTube, every day. Well, what are you listening to? What are you learning? I don't know. I forgot it. You can't do that. And Jesus said, if you have the light, don't hide it. Don't snuff it out. You, you, can't, you can't do that. If you have the light, use it. If you have a flashlight, use it. If it's dark in the room, you got the flashlight on, don't snuff it. Because you'd be in darkness. It's obvious. Now, there's a couple of things that Jesus is trying to say here. I think there's two parts to it, personally. And I think he's trying to say, in one sense, hey, disciples, look, I'm teaching you these profound truths. Pay attention. It's going to get somewhat more intense in why we need to pay attention as we go through this passage. He's saying, look, if I've given, if you, you have to understand all of us live in darkness, right? John 1. If I flip the switch and turn the lights on and you can see, don't shut the lights off. That, that would be foolish. I've given you light. I've given you life. The light represents the what? The word of God in Psalm 119, right? It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. But John 1, also the light is Jesus himself. He's the light of the world. John 8. You can't ignore Jesus. Once he's revealed himself to you, it's like in, even in Hebrews, once you've been enlightened, right, John 10, I mean uh, Hebrews 10. That's a scary, terrifying passage. Once you've had some level of understanding, once you've been exposed to the light, and then all of a sudden you shut the light off, well, what will you have? Right? It's pretty convicting. 
You can't, Jesus is saying, look, through all these parables, he's saying, you have to do something with the word. Now, there's a discipleship aspect of that, but then there's also an evangelistic a, a, a aspect. Now, listen to this, Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. You don't just have the light. You are the light. And he says, he talks about salt, too, being salt. But he says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light up a lamp and put it under a basket. But on the lampstand, it gives it light to all those who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's evangelistic. In other words, if you have the light, if you are a true believer and you have the light, you're going to give it away. You're going to give it away. You're not going to hide it. If you hide it, it proves that you don't want it. That you don't have it. So when people come into your households, let's just look at it this way. If people come into your house and you have the light on, oh, you're a believer. Wonderful. And then you just shut the light on. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Not called hospitality. But that's the way some of us live. We live that way. We're shameful of the light. If, if, if Jesus says, remember he says, those who are ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of them before my Father in heaven. Right? You know what his disciples are trying to do? He's saying, look, let's understand something. Because there's a lot of confusion. Remember, you know how much confusion there was? It's actually encouraging to us. There's a lot of confusion with the disciples. They're, like, they're, they're, they're a little confused. They're like, okay, we have the light. We're supposed to give the light. But yet, you are talking in parables so that they don't actually understand what in the world is going on right now. And then, it, because you, you know they don't understand, because they're walking down the street one day, and, and they're kind of probably picking up on what Jesus is saying, because he's already hostile towards the enemy, right? He's already hostile towards the Pharisees. He's already saying, look, those guys aren't getting the light. In fact, we're going to not disclose it anymore. And they're kind of confused about this evangelistic thing. But you want me to share the gospel or not share the gospel? Come on. <laughs> I'm new at this. <laughs> and so they're walking down the street and these jokers over here are not listening to the Lord. They're, they're rejecting Jesus and these wise guys have a great idea. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we just throw fire down from heaven annihilate these people and everything's going to be fine. What? I came to seek and save the lost, not burn them up. <laughs> so, what is it? <laughs> they're, they're, they're right. And he's saying, look, what is, what is concealed right now will be revealed. Because I'm going to come back from the dead and I'm going to commission you Something like this. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in what? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that what? I've commanded. Right now, there's a concealing happening then, but it's not happening now. And here's the profound nature of that we're seeing the Word of God literally come alive right now because what was once hidden in parts then in the time of Jesus is fully revealed now 
That's incredible. I pay attention. Pay attention. That's incredible. There is a discipleship aspect to this passage, but there's also encouragement to what? The young evangelist. Saying one day we're going to reveal this thing full blown, day of Pentecost, he had that in mind, he's all knowing, that they are going to take this thing to the entire world. That's incredible. Do not hide the light. Our job is to receive the light, let it bounce off of us onto others. We want others to receive this same light that we have. Now, the only people excited here are the evangelists. There's like three of you. <laughs> so, this is exciting because don't, don't miss this because he's saying, look, disciples, listen, this isn't an evangelist. You're a pastoral guy and you're an evangelistic guy. That has nothing to do with this passage. He says, look, you're all evangelists if you call yourself true disciples. Every single one of you need to reflect the light. That's actually not your own. It's not your switch. It's not your lamp. What business do you have to do to dump out your brain and put that over my light? Listen to what J.C. Rouse says. It is high time that the old tradition that the clergy alone ought to teach and spread religious knowledge should be exploded and cast aside forever. To do good and diffuse light is a duty for which all members of Christ's church are responsible, whether ministers or laymen. Neighbors ought to tell neighbors if they have found an unfailing remedy in time of a plague called sin. We got the remedy. We got the light in the darkness. Christians ought to tell others that they have found medicine for their souls if they see them ignorant and dying for want of it. Let me ask you this. Do you even have a desire to share the gospel? Is that even in you? Or are you just looking for the evangelists around you in your life group to do the dirty work? Because what he said is all believers are not to hide the light. That's everybody in this room if you call yourself a true believer. In fact, it says this in 1 Peter 2 9. Peter understood this. But you are a chosen race. He started calling the church and said, You're a chosen race. You're a royal prince. You're a holy nation. A people for God's own possession. That's pretty good. It's like, hey, right. Like the procession. Those are big names. Those are, those are, those are big identities. That's a big identity. And listen to what he says. So that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who has what? Called you out of darkness into his marvelous, what? Light. Couldn't be more clear, could it? Couldn't be more clear. The job of the church who received the light is to give the light and not hide it. What are you doing with the light? Now, in 
It's interesting. He says, for everything, for, for nothing is hidden except to be revealed, or is anything in secret, but that it would come to light. Yes, he's talking about like the pre-evangelist conversation, saying, like I just said, there's a there's a hiddenness to this project here that he, Jesus has a game plan. These disciples will one day reveal it to its entirety. They are not to conceal it. Right now it's somewhat concealed to some. But I think this is also saying that though we're not to be concerned about who's the first soil, the second soil, the third soil, and even really quite frankly the fourth, that's none of our business. We're called to just shine the light. But he's also saying we'll know eventually who the hypocrites are. I, I, you know, whatever has been hidden, whatever's lying underneath the soil, eventually it's going to come up. It, it, you can't, in other words, you can't hide the fake life. And eventually you're, you're just going to run out of gas. You're going to run out of fumes. And then, and everyone's going to know that. And Jesus is saying, look, whatever is hidden is going to be revealed. Whatever's going on, under, on, on underneath the hood is going to be known. So there's kind of multifacets going on here. But overall, the unifying theme is you better pay attention. You better pay attention. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, it's time to wake up. Excuse me. And in verse 23, if I hadn't belabored that enough, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. <laughs> right? There's the unifying theme. If you're a, a, a student of God's word, you've got to find out what's going on in context. You can't just make it fit the way you want it to fit in your own world. There's a way in which things work. There's a true meaning of text. Number two, true disciples carefully apply the word. They carefully applied the word. Verse 24. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. Take care what you listen to. If you're a, like a, a sermon junkie, right? You know some of you guys are, just admit it. Oh, listen to this guy, this guy, this guy. Well, what are you learning? It'd be better to get a journal and write one sentence from that message and apply it. I'd rather you listen to one sermon a week and apply that than listen to 20 and apply none. Who cares what that guy says? Oh, I love this guy. He's amazing. Well, what did he say? I don't know. That's not what we're called to do, right? We're not called to do that. It's almost like you have fans. It's like you went from sports to pastors and trading cards. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you. Besides, pay attention. Be careful with what you've been given. Be careful with what you've been given. Jesus is saying, look, I'm giving you a lot of information. <laughs> I need you to sort it out and make sure that you're taking it in. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5, 9 to 10 says this. We also have 
as our ambition. You know, ambition is good if it's, if it's the right ambition. What is his ambition? Whether at home or absent. In other words, whether here on earth or heaven to be pleasing to him. Is that your ambition? I mean, honestly, is your ambition to please the Lord? You wake up being like, my ambition is to please the Lord. Is your ambition, I gotta get that job. I gotta climb up the ladder. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That's, that's Paul's ambition. I want to please the Lord. I want to take what he's been given to me and steward it well. We've got to hear the word and use it or we will lose it. We will lose it. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. We're going to unpack that in a second. But Proverbs 13, 4 says this. Soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. But the soul of the diligent is made fat. Proverbs 19, 15 says, Laziness is cast into deep sleep, and idle man will suffer hunger. In other words, if you don't use this word that God has given you week after week after week, you know, these disciples were, they were every day with the Lord. Can you imagine the information? Can you imagine the journals? I mean, John even says, there's not even a whole library that would be able to fit all the, I mean, it's a hyperbole, but there's, there's no libraries that would be able to fit all the words and the deeds of Jesus. Would you imagine, could, could you imagine just having those libraries? Oh, I think this book is Sorry, Tyler. We'll fix it. But can you you imagine just spending a Saturday afternoon in that library? Just discovering? Let me just say this. By the way of the Holy Spirit, he's given you enough. John is saying he's given you enough to work with. He's given you enough to know who the Lord truly is. And what you are called to do as a believer. Amen? Many of us are like, we want more, we want more, we want more, we want more. No, no, no. You need to steward what you have. You need to steward what you have. J.C. Rouse says this, attention to, the, to this great principle is the main secret of spiritual prosperity. The man who makes rapid progress in spiritual attainment who grows visibly in grace and knowledge and strength and usefulness, will always be found to be a diligent man. He leaves no stone unturned to promote his soul's well-being. He is diligent over his Bible, diligent in his private devotions, diligent as hearers of sermons, diligent in his attendance at the Lord's table, and he reaps according to what he sows. He's a good steward of what he has. Do we wish to grow in grace? Do we desire to have strong faith, brighter hope, a clearer knowledge? All of us do, of course. Beyond a doubt, we do. We are true, if we are true Christians, then let us live fully up to our light and improve every opportunity. Let us never forget our Lord's words in this passage. The more 
we do for our souls, the more shall we find God does for them. Steward we have. Pay attention. Pay attention. Some of you guys go to life group, and the life group leader says, all right, we're going we're gonna to do the, we're, we're going to unpack the parable of the soils, and we're going to find out where you're, where you're at, and, and you're like, this is boring. I want a new message. Not good. You should go to life group desiring to live the word of God out to fellowship with those people. That is the goal of life. That's the goal of life. Is that your heart? Is that your ambition? Is that your ambition? Or you just want more information? You know, knowledge puffs up, it says. Knowledge puffs up. So you must have love for God, His Word, His people. You know, this reminds me of the parable of the talents. It, it, it has, it has, it, it feels like the parable of the towns. In other words, whatever you have, whatever God has been given to you, do you steward it well? Or out of fear, do you just dig up some dirt, put it in there and leave it because you're fearful of God? In other words, what he's saying is you don't know God. You don't know who truly is. You haven't done anything with what he's been given to you and what he gave you. One commentator says this, whoever does not have from him shall be taken away, even the, that semblance of knowledge, that superficial acquaintance. With matter spiritual, what you once had, is it not true that the person who has learned enough music to play a few simple melodies, but not really enough to be able to say, I have mastered this or that instrument, and then he stops practicing altogether, will soon discover that his little skill, which he had, has now vanished. Same with language, isn't it? Same with weightlifting. Some of the guys, you know, the college guys, now they're like young adults, little belly. (laughs) (laughs) Stewarding what you had. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of an evil laugh. I'm not, I'm not like. A man who refuses to make proper use of his one talent even loses that. Even loses that. Your muscles will atrophy when you don't use it anymore. You'll lose the language. You'll lose little what you have. I'll tell you, if a church, this entire church, we all decide to actually steward the word of God I can't even imagine what God's going to do with this place. If we are really serious about this, we're like, this, this is our life, this is our mission. I want to live this out. I'm not interested in wanting to know more information. I don't want to, yeah, I mean, God's saying, look, he's probably, it's, it's within the promise. If you have something and you use it, you're going to get more. You're going to get more. It's incredible. It's kind of true. Like, oh, I just want to get more, 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 not live out just more, 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 more. And you lose it. But the little you have, and you use it, you're going to get more. 
Just imagine what you are, what, what that would look like in 10 years. What would you look like in 10 years? 20 years? 30 years? 40 years? Probably 80. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> you know, maybe it's just intellectual stimulation for you. Perhaps it's just moralism. It's just a bunch of do's and don'ts. Perhaps it's just emotional. It's just feelings which come and go. You know, Jesus is ultimately saying here, look, if you're a false disciple, you won't experience any reward, and what little you have will be taken from you. Luke 18, 18 so take care how you listen. This is another, uh, basically the parallel in the Synoptic Gospels. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks, this is important, what he thinks he has. It's a very interesting word there. What he thinks he has shall be taken away from him. In other words, there's a lot of people in the church that are deceived. They think they have life. They think they're born again. And this accumulating knowledge. What they're doing is they're accumulating more pain in hell is what they're doing. That's not, that's not a good thing. You don't want more knowledge without a real heart. I'll tell you that. Because it'll be more unbearable than hell is what the word of God says. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God by their deeds. They deny him. By their deeds they deny him is what he's saying. Not by the word. Anybody could, you know, Give me the Apostles' Creed or some sort of confession. That's easy. That's just words. But out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Being detestable and disobedient, worthless for any good deed. James 2.19, you know this one. You believe in God, you do well. But the demons also believe and they shudder. Matthew 7, 26 to 27, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and slammed against that house. It fell, and great was its fall. Great was its fall. Matthew, 20, Matthew 7, 23, I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from you who practice as lawlessness. Whatever a person thinks he has, which is what he's saying is that's an unbeliever. Whatever an unbeliever thinks he has, makes sense, doesn't it? Will be taken away from them. They won't have that knowledge anymore, or at least the enjoyment of it in heaven. The little they have, will be taken away. Whatever you have, and you steward it well, how glorious, what a blessing your life will be. What a blessing your life will be. In fact, it's such a great picture of Ezekiel 47 of just the depths, right? It's the ankle deep, the knee deep, the waist deep, and full immersion. Read that passage sometime. What a wonderful vision for the believer's life. What a wonderful vision. It just keeps getting better. It really does. Or John 1, he says... Grace upon grace upon grace. Or John 10, the abundant life. We can just keep going. So much blessing for those who take the little they have. They multiply it. All right, number three. 
True disciples release the word and trust God's sovereignty. Verse 26, and he was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night, gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows how he himself does not know. It's a mystery, isn't it, for how many farmers are out there? Yeah, one. <laughs> Kansas boy. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, and then the head, and then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 7 says this, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Christ's sake. For God who said, Light shine out of darkness is the one who shone in our hearts, here again this light understanding, to give us the light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What he's trying to say is we're weak. We have nothing to do with saving anybody. But listen to this. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God, not of ourselves. Here's some of the anxious uh, you know, evangelists. I know it's kind of nerve-wracking to talk to people about Jesus. I get that. And you know what? We're going to help you come overcome that. And that's, I understand that. But never be anxious about the results. Why? Because the farmer went to bed. The farmer went to bed. It's called the theology of sleep. Just go to bed. Don't worry. You're not the Savior. He is. He's the Savior. You're the farmer. Farmer has nothing to do with growing his crop. He goes to bed. What a wonderful promise that is. What a wonderful promise. That all of us get to enjoy. We just go out and share the gospel. It's our job to shine the light. It's our job to use what God's given us. To sow sparingly. To reap sparingly. I mean, right? If, if, you, if you only share the gospel once once every year, you're going to sow sparingly, you're going to reap. Maybe a guy. Maybe not. But if you're all the time, man, I just want to shine the light. I want to, I want to plant seeds. I want to water. I want to see God do something. And you're going to have stories. You're going to have wonderful stories to tell. Because God's word does not come back away. We established that last week. Isaiah 55. Why do we know this? Why, why, why can't you go to sleep? Because John 3 is clear. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said this to you. You must be born again. Now listen, the wind blows where it wishes. God is sovereign in salvation. You can't just start taking a fan and just blowing the wind, you know, trying to get it in the guy's face. Leave the wind alone. It's God's. It's the Holy Spirit that causes a man to be born again. Ephesians 2. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. 
It's not your business. So it is with everyone who is born in spirit. It's a mystery. It's not, we're not privy to it. We don't need the gimmicks. We don't need to manipulate people. We don't need the market-driven church, the charismatic emotionalism, or the pragmatism. We don't need that. We don't need the gimmicks. Why? Because God saves. Equally, though, you're called to share the gospel. And leave the results to him and go to bed. J.C. Ryle says this, Let us mark this truth also. For it is deeply instructive, it is humbling, no doubt, to ministers and teachers of others. The highest abilities, the most powerful preaching, the most diligent working cannot command success. Do we realize that? God alone gives life. But it is a truth at the same time which supplies an admirable antidote to over-carefulness and despondency. Our principal work is to sow the seed. That done, we may wait with faith and patience for the results. We may sleep and rise the next day and leave our work with the Lord, for he alone can. And if he thinks fit, he will give success. He will give success. Because you know what? When all of a sudden the harvest starts coming through these double doors, the only thing we should do is not applaud the evangelist. The farmer did jack squat. Glorify God. Glorify God. We're always promoting the evangelist. Oh, he's the guy. He's the guy. No, he's not the guy. He's the farmer that goes to bed. <laughs> he goes to bed. You notice the evangelist, we need to be reminded of this, though. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes, first the Jew and the Greek. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but the power of the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among your, you for your sake. And then 1 Peter 1.23, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. It has nothing to do with the farmer or your gimmicks. Nothing. You don't need to worry. Because 1 Corinthians 3.6, again as a reminder, I planted... All this water, God gave the growth. You know what's so cool here? Is there is a time, not only to glorify God, when we see the harvest, okay? When we see the harvest, they come running in here. We're not asking, all right, who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Who was it? You know what you should be occupied with? Listen, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of crops at 2 Timothy 2 6. You know what you should be occupied with? It's the fact that you have more people to fellowship with. That's your reward. We're not lifting up man. We're lifting up God. Thank you, Lord, that you brought your harvest into And yes, we get to reap that harvest, but reaping the harvest really just means we get to fellowship with them in community. We get to grow them up in the Lord together. What a wonderful privilege. We have as believers. Can you think of anything better? CNN? It's a joke. This is incredible. This is way better 
in building the United States of America. We're building the kingdom of God. Number four, we're closing here. True disciples release God's word expectantly. Watch this. And he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Someone said, he just said, hey, all right. Now we got through that last parable. Here's another one. How should we picture this kingdom? Watch how incredible this is. You thought that was great, that last one? Watch how great this one is. It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. What is he saying? Now, there are some atheists and skeptics, liberal scholars that say that the word of God, see the word of God is not true because Jesus said the mustard seed is the smallest. And they figured out that you know, some work it is seeds even smaller than that. All they are is fools because they don't understand that Jesus was just trying to work out a, a, like a hyperbole, just saying, look, it, it, you have this little seed. Look what it grows into. Massive tree. 15 times. It, it just, it's, it's huge. Everyone would know that. This little tiny seed and this huge plant. How in the world does it get? Like, I mean, I, I just admit, you see that with even your own plants in your backyard. Weeds. How in the world does it get that big? You had nothing to do with that. Did you watch over it? Did you pet the leaf? <laughs> Were you there at the Reformation? Were you there when Jonathan Edwards was preaching sinners in the hands of an angry God when people got saved? No. You <laughs> had nothing to do with it. We're around 15 feet. It was larger than all the other garden plants. So what's this whole thing about safe haven for birds? Here's another passage that gets fulfilled here. Daniel 4, 10 to 11 or 12. It says, I was looking, behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height was great. And the disciples would have read this. This tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached to the sky. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful. Its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field around found shade under it. And the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches. And all living creatures fed themselves from it. It's God's promise to the nations. It's Revelation 4. All the nations. Every representation of every ethnic tribe, tongue, and nation will be represented there in Rome room, worshiping God. You have the birds that find rest and shelter in the tree of the kingdom of God. It's beautiful. Jesus is saying, look, I want you to expect an incredible outcome. You don't see it right now. I know you see these Pharisees that are rejecting you got people following me because I'm doing miracles, signs, and wonders, feeding them free lunch, raising the dead. You're following me for the wrong reasons. You're watching me. I understand. 
If you can stick with this, you obey the Great Commission. You will see something that no eye has seen, no ear has heard. The amazing, marvelous things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Ephesians 3.20 We do above and beyond what we could ever ask or think. You are going to be blown away at how this little hodgepodge group of people who didn't know what the heck they were doing is literally going to explode 2,000 years later. It's going to be like something you've never seen before. You want to be a part of that? I hope so. Because there's still more people that have never heard this gospel. It is our duty to share with those who've never heard. It is our responsibility to unleash the truth and trust him with the results. J.C. Ralph said this in the 1800s, the visible church of Christ is not yet done growing. It's not yet done. This is the 1800s, okay? We've... This is before the modern missions movement. This is before airplanes. Notwithstanding the melancholy apostasy of its branches and the deplorable weakness of others, despite all that, it is still extending and expanding over the whole world. New branches have been continually been springing up in America and in India, Australia, Africa, and China and the islands of the South Seas. During the last 50 years, it keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. Evils, undoubtedly, there are many. Governments will try to stop this, but they won't be able to. False profession and corruption abound. There are going to be false governments. But still, on the whole, heathenism is waning, wearing out, melting away. In spite of all the predictions of Voltaire, Paine, philosophers, secular people, in spite of the foes without and treachery within the visible church progresses and the mustard plant still grows. It's incredible that we get to be a part of this incredible living church. A local church, but yet universal. And to finish this off, he says, with many such parables, he was speaking the word to them, verse 33. And so far as they were able to hear it, and he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. And I love this because it correlates with 1 John 2, 27, that you have an anointing. And we always talk about anointing. What's anointing? There's to heal the sick or all this kind of anointing stuff. It has nothing to do with anything. The true anointing is that you would understand the word. And the true anointing is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And he will make clear what is unclear. That is his promise to you. As for you, the anointing which you've received, he abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. For he is anoint his anointing teaches you about all things. And it is true and it is not a lie. And just as it is taught to you, you abide in him. Trust him. Steward the word. Pay attention. 
listen. He's in you. He's helping you understand the Word of God. And as we close, I thought it was fitting. I ran across a story by a scholar. His name is Pastor. His name is Christopher Ash. And he talks about there's three uh, apprentice devils. It's kind of like C.S. Lewis. You know, the screw tape letters. But he, he's talking about Satan training these, these three or four guys. He's, he's a little posse. And he, uh, he asks them, he's like, hey, you know, what are you trying today? And they tell him, he's like, look, I got an idea. His first apprentice. I'm going to tell him that there's no God. It's like, the new guy. I got a great idea. I'm going to just tell a bunch of people that there's no God. Like, okay, you can try that. Satan says. A few fools will believe you. But the universe shouts the existence of God. There is evidence all around you, and you will not do very well. Indeed, even the secular 21st century, you might find yourself witnessing to the slow death of atheism. That's not going to work. You have any other ideas? Yeah, I got, the, I got another idea. Second apprentice is this. I'm going to tell him that there's no judgment. That's what I'm telling It's a better idea, Satan. You're on the right track. You will persuade more people than that, especially some of the clergy. But human beings have a gut sense of accountability if they know that actions have consequences. It's innate. It's in you. They know what it is to feel guilty, even when the therapists tell them not to. So I think you'll have an uphill battle with this one. Got any more ideas? Yeah, I got one more. I'm going to tell him that there's no hurry. Brilliant, Satan says. That is just what I want to hear. You will have great success. Let them listen to the word of God week and week, week in and week out, and then whisper in their ears this. This is good stuff. One day, you ought to do something about this. But tomorrow, we'll do What are you doing with the light you've been given? Put a basket over it? If you use it, you'll have more. And unfortunately, if you do not use this truth, even this morning, and you hide the light, the little you have, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. It's the words of Christ. These words are true. If you have a lack of urgency in you, you're right where the enemy wants you. You know, I, I always try to put some sort of, for even my own accountability, I probably try to put some sort of a pastoral word for all of us because I think we need this. We need this urgency. We need this warning. You know, some of us are just, you almost can say, well, I'm trying. <laughs> 
you know, I, I, I just got so much stuff going on in my life. I got a lot of things happening. I'm, I'm, I'm at max. I want to live this out. I want to do this. You know, and we're on our way here, and my boys were singing in the car. They liked the hymns and whatnot. And come thy fountain of every blessing, I just couldn't help. I choked up at one point just that this wonderful verse here that I think will find much comfort in us because we realize we can't do this in our own strength. We can't do this in our own strength. It says here, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, bind my wonder, wandering heart to thee. Listen. I don't know if some of you feel this. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. I'll take it, seal it. Seal it for the courts above. A wonderful, amazing hymn. We can't do this out of our own strength. It's not possible. Whatever you're going through. But just know that as I read in John 10. That those I give eternal life will never perish. And no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. We have an incredible grace. Yes, we need to steward it. Yes, we need to do something with it. Yes, we need to shine light. I think some of us need to know we can't do this on our own strength. That we are prone to wander, aren't we? Every day, in fact. We're prone to wander even... What an... What an Honest prayer, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take it and seal it. Seal it for all of eternity. That's the promise that we have. This is what the cross has offered us. Grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. Father, thank you for giving us this incredible word. None of us can do this out of our own strength. Some of us need to hear this word this morning. We need to pay attention to your word. We need to be good listeners. We need to be 